0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
1: The next question is then how do I make sure I don't do what David did? If the seed in you is growing, how can you make sure that it doesn't explode and ruin your life?
0: Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome again to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. And in this episode, we're continuing with the life of David, looking at his encounter with Bathsheba. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David was a great king, he had a real heart for God. So, how or why could David allow this thing with Bathsheba to happen? Let's continue the message now on today with Jeff Bynes.
1: Now, now you think about, what does David do then? He covets the man's wife, commits adultery with the man's wife, murders the man, lies to cover it up. Half the Ten Commandments. Half the Ten Commandments. In one awful enterprise, this coming from a man who wrote Psalm 48. I delight to do the will of God. Your law is written on my heart. The man who wrote that and the man who meant that did this. And again, I want to tell you, if you're here for the first time and you're still a seeker and you're saying, you see that right there is why I don't believe in Christianity. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I say to you, yes, we are. And that's why you're going to fit right in. Because <laughs> none of us keeps our moral code. No matter what it is, we try, we want to, but we fail. So did David and so do you. Bible is not a book about how good people are. It's a book about how forgiving God is. Okay. Now, here's the question. How could David do this? As soon as you and I asked that question, our slip is showing. We reveal something about ourselves. Do you remember? I think it was two Christmases ago, Christmas Eve. My daughter and I are going home on Grand Avenue over to West Covina. Rescue squad, police cars everywhere. The man goes into a home in Covina. It had been an angered and a bitter divorce. Shows up at the home of his in-laws. A little eight-year-old girl answers the door because he's dressed up like Santa Claus and he empties his gun in her face. He goes into the house and kills nine more people, then sets the house on fire. Now, here's what amazed me about that story. All week, I read the newspaper reports and listened to the commissioner, and everybody asked this question. What happened that made him capable of such an atrocity? And the assumption all week by the media and by many sane people was this a sane person would never commit such an atrocity. He must've been really sick, some chemical imbalance, because the assumption is I'm not capable of that. I would never do that. And as soon as you say that, you've taken one ginormous step toward doing it. Do you know why? Because the seed of atrocities reside in every single one of us. The capability of doing something the worst possible deed you can imagine is in every single one of us. And what I'm saying to you, you give that seed that is in you and me enough water, the right time and the right place, and you'll do something. And even yourself, you'll look back and think, I can't believe I did that. Yes, it might be true. You're a Christian, you're following Jesus and you have a passion to do the good, to be righteous. That the Holy Spirit not only changes what you do, but what you want to do. You're set on a course. You want to live a godly life. That may be true, but it doesn't make any less true the fact that there are seeds of bitterness and anger and hatred and envy and strife and things that are growing down inside. you remember what happened during World War I? Most of the British and American leaders, including FDR, when they heard first about the Holocaust that in Germany, there were gas ovens, human experience, firing squads, executions of innocent men, women, and children, all the rest, they didn't believe the reports. That's why they got involved in the war too late. They didn't believe it. FDR was asked, why couldn't you believe it? And he simply said, I just didn't believe that the Germans would be capable of such atrocities. They said, why? He said, because I couldn't believe that the same civilization they gave us Bach and Mozart could commit genocide. You see the arrogance? How could such an advanced society be capable of this? That's why I'm always reminded of the preacher, D.L. Moody, who was on an airplane seated beside a guidance counselor. And he asked the guidance counselor, the old preacher did, tell me if you could tell high school students today one thing, what would be the one thing you would tell them? And she said, well, that's easy. I would tell them, make sure you get a good education. And D.L. Moody, without missing a beat, said, "We well, you know, that's interesting. My experience has been, if you take a man who is stealing railway ties from the railroad track and give him an education, at the end of it, he will steal the whole railroad track. <laughs> Giving somebody an education doesn't take away the reality of the seeds that grow in all our lives. It just makes us more capable to express our sin in a high-tech fashion. You got it? Like in Rwanda, when I talk to people about the genocide that was committed, uh, part of them will say, I can't believe they did that. Another part will say this. Well, that happens and that's Africa. That's a barbaric civilization and that's what they do to each other. We in the West would never treat each other that way. Isn't that interesting? No, no. The answer is, no, we treat each other that way. Our barbaric activity is high tech. It's just more advanced because we're more educated. Yeah, listen, the seeds of atrocities you could never imagine reside in you and me. So I ask you to look at your life. Do you see self-pity? Why don't I have what everybody else has? Is it sitting, festering, and boiling? Resentment, envy, entitlement? narcissism, anger at God because he didn't give you something, jealousy about that person at the office who seems to get all the breaks and you don't. They get all the attention. Hate, jealousy, is it growing? Pride, self-centeredness. And the big one, the big seed that can explode, unforgiveness. Somebody hurt you, somebody wounded you, and you dream about getting them back. And that seed, I'm telling you, is growing. And if you don't deal with it now, if you put that seed in the right situation, the right soil, and it gets watered properly, it will begin to grow. And in the right set of circumstances, you and I are capable of doing things we never thought we would do. We are capable of committing atrocities. I'm asking you, what seed is in you right now? What, what's there that you know, as I'm talking, is out of control. The thirst for more and more stuff, then you'll be able to do something that gets you what you want, that you never thought you'd do. Plenty of people in Enron right now in prison that never thought they'd do what they did. It's in all of us, folks. When I go to Africa, I love to tell simple stories because they love simple stories. and Then you can bring home the point, my favorite simple story, and I think their favorite story that I tell every year I go. It's just like here. I tell the same jokes over and over. And as long as you keep laughing, I'm going to tell them. And so, so it's the guy who sits under the tree and he tells god i think god that your sense of proportion is all out of whack i look out in the field and i see small plants and big watermelons small or big tree and little acorns god this is out of whack small plant big watermelon big plant small little acorn about that time acorn falls out of the tree hits him in the head what does he say thank god that wasn't a watermelon <laughs> and why does he say it well you think about the acorn think about the little acorn isn't it true it's a very small seed but in theory isn't it true in theory that an acorn could produce enough wood, one, to cover the whole world. That seed that's in you, if you don't deal with it now, whatever it is, it will grow and grow and get to the point, and you won't see it coming, folks, that you will explode one day, and from that time, your life will change, and there are some things from which you'll never recover. You know the guy that did what we just talked about in Covina? He was scheduled to be an usher that night at Christmas Mass, Oh yeah. He would call himself a Christian. He went to church regularly. What happened? What happened? The affections in your heart, the passion to do the good have very little to do with the other passions and affections that reside in you. And the seeds are always wanting to grow. And if not taken care of, they will explode. All right. Probably already know you probably already know that we're not going to get the whole message done. So I want to do the second point and that's it. We're going to pick it up next week, but I want you to listen. The next question is then how do I make sure I don't do what David did? If, if the seed in you is, is growing and has the potential to explode, how can you make sure that it doesn't explode and ruin your life? Now, before I answer that question, can somebody say, just think for a moment, where's Jonathan? Something is missing in David's life that's been there all along. Jonathan. Because had Jonathan been there, he'd say, David, man, it's springtime. Why aren't you going off to war? You're God's anointed leader, man. Lead, lead, man, lead. What are you doing? And why are you spending so much time on the roof? What are you seeing up there? What are you doing up there, man? Stop hanging around on the roof, wasting time with your God given gifts, and get out and do something. Idleness is the devil's workshop. I know it hadn't been written yet, but I think Jonathan would have said it. And why are you always talking about some woman named Bathsheba? She's the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, man. She's somebody's daughter. She's somebody's wife. He risked his life for you, did Uriah. That's private property, man. That's off limits. David, you got no right to Bathsheba. David might have said, well, I'm the king. Yeah, you're the king, but before that, you were a shepherd boy. Without God, you'd still be a shepherd boy talking to sheep and trying to rescue the sheep from lions and bears. You're only the king because God made you the king. And by the way, you talk about his blessings. Is this how you repay him by crossing moral boundaries? And by killing people, see, that's what Jonathan would have done. What are you doing, man? Are you crazy? Have y'all lost it? Well, Jonathan's not there, Jeff. Yeah, you're right. But David's smart enough to have a replacement. He's smart enough to know that spiritual success is synonymous with accountability. Now here, Pastor Jeff, because this is the last point I'm going to make, and then it's over. Listen to Pastor Jeff. You know, he does say some good things from time to time. I've said this before, but I don't think we're getting it. Some are, most aren't. Listen you cannot make it alone. You can't. You're not strong enough. The weight of temptation is too heavy to carry alone. You will fall. There will be a disaster. I went down to Dane Johnson's office this week. Mine's up there. He's down there. I walked down. I walked in his office and he got a big smile on his face. He's always happy to see Pastor Jeff because he knows why I'm there. Pastor Jeff, what do you want? I said, well, Dane, I'm really thinking about going this direction, but I need a good illustration right here to to solidify this. He got a big smile. Oh, I got one for you. And he brings out this book by Stu Weber called Locking Arms, or at least some manuscript from it. And he starts telling me this story about a Midwest County Fair. And I thought, oh, here we go. Dane's going to give me an illustration about a pig or a heifer or something like that. But this past week, Dane graduated, so he used a horse instead, which I was happy. We are making progress. And he told me this story in a Midwest County Fair where a champion horse pulled 4,500 pounds and got first place. And the second place horse pulled 4,000 pounds and together they pulled 8,500 pounds. No, they didn't. Somebody in the crowd said, I wonder what would happen if we put them together and together they pulled 12,000 pounds and Dane got a big smile on his face, just real big wide. And he said, you know what this means, Pastor Jeff? You know what this means? And I thought, man, he's going to give me some profound statement. This is going to be good. I'm going to write this down. Like together we can accomplish so much more together. We can change the world. And he said, here's what it means, Pastor Jeff. If I pull 250 pounds and you pull your measly little 50 (laughs) pounds, then together we can pull 900 pounds. I said, that's it. He said, no, I'm just kidding. It means we're better together. It means that we are better together. Listen, this is the end of the sermon right here. You gotta, when you get serious about finding somebody that's gonna hold you accountable until then you will fall and mighty will be the fall. And when you fall, you fall alone. So I'm asking you to do those three things in your bulletin. To number one, search for a spiritual friend, ask God to open a door Ask him to show you who that friend's gonna be. My friend's name is Mike, and we meet at coffee Clatch often. And those are some of the most enjoyable times of my life. Not only because we talk about my two favorite G's, God and golf, but because he holds me accountable, man. He asks me hard questions, difficult ones that I gotta look him in the eye, and he'll tell me, look me in the eye and answer me. Where are you in this? And if he sees me doing something that's just a little bit out of the ordinary, like I saw you talking to that lady out in the parking lot. That's not a good call. I know people want to see you, but you got to have other people around. It's that kind of conversations I have with him. You got to watch yourself, man. You need that. I need that. We need that. Search for a spiritual friend and ask God to send that person. Look for that person into your life. Second, test the waters. Don't rush in. Pay very close attention to how they're going to respond in difficult times. Look, don't just say, oh, I want accountability partner. This is a cool thing. You look good. Let's go. Big mistake. Watch them for a season. Watch how they respond in difficulty. Are they patient? Do they do the right thing when it's hard? Are they people of no compromise, men or women? By the way, surely I'm, we're at the point where I don't have to tell you that if a man has accountability partner, it needs to be another man. <laughs> I don't think your wife's going to appreciate you spending regular time with another woman and saying, well, it's spiritual accountability. <laughs> now I just gave about a thousand men another excuse. Knock it off. Man to man, woman to woman. Now, an accountability partner is not somebody that sympathizes so much. In other words, they say, Pastor Jeff, you're thinking about watching that? I can understand. You deserve that. You're going to say, go ahead. Pastor Jeff, that person hurts you and you're going to get them back. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll help you write the letter. We'll just hammer him. That's not accountability partner. Accountability partner says, man, what are you thinking? You're a man of God. What do you think twice? You you can't act like that, man. You're bigger than that. Let's go. My dad, oh, classic story. Between my junior and senior year, uh, my coach, high school basketball coach, went down to the Virgin Islands and recruited a big guy named James Henry. He was six feet eight, 250 pounds. And he came to junior uh, summer camp. And I I was so devastated because I was the big man on campus. I was afraid that now there was gonna be another star that was gonna just supersede. He was gonna take all the glory in the limelight. So I went home to mommy. And I, I said, mom, it's terrible. I've worked so hard for three years. I deserve to be the captain. I deserve to be the star. You know, and this is all taken away from me. And she puts my head in her little lap. She rubs my head with her hand. It's okay, son. My dad's watching this whole thing over in the corner. It, it's okay, son. You know, I know it's tough, but you know, I, you know, it's good. You'll be all right. And my dad's just watching after my mom loves me and gives me some cookies and milk. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> she leaves the room. Dad looks and says, son, I want to talk to you a Come on, let's go. I said, where are we going? Let's just go. Well, we ended up behind the woodshed. <laughs> My dad said to me, you finished? I said, what do you mean? He says, son, you need to suck it up. This is pathetic. You look like a little girl in there. No offense. It's East Tennessee. It's the way you say it. Just conversation. No offense. Son, You, you, you what's wrong with you, man? That's not, the, that's not the son I raised. You get there. You bow your neck. You get a little intestinal fortitude. You suck it up and be a man. And you go out there and you show them what you're like. You think the world's going to be tougher than this? Man, he gave it to me both barrels. Call me things I'd never been called. All within the Christian context. <laughs> I went back down there, and I did what my dad asked to do. My dad, that, you know, that's what accountability partner does. He's not going to, oh, it's okay, little Jeffrey. I understand. He's going to say, man, let's go. Stand up. Be faithful to your wife. Love your children. Be a family leader, man. Come on. That's accountability partner right there. And when you do fall, though, they're there. And the third one, enter a covenant relationship. Because I'm from East Tennessee, we all have Cherokee Indian in us, and they are blood brothers. They perform the ceremony of combining blood to blood and they swear a covenant, an oath covenant that says, I am sworn to protect you. I got your back. But part of that, that most people don't understand is an accountability relationship. I'm also going to hold you accountable to how you live. When I lived in New Zealand, very young, Tony Bennett, who is now the coach of the Virginia Cavaliers. We go out to Waikiki Island. Waikiki Island's beautiful, man, just beautiful. But it's also notorious for storms coming up in a moment's notice. And people have drowned, lost their lives. Well, Craig and I are on the boat and my friend Tony Bennett's swimming. And the storm, the swells come up just like that. And I throw him the life preserver. He's fighting for his life. I'm trying to pull him in. I'm thinking, man, Tony, this is horrible. Now, it might've been bad timing, but right at that moment, a spiritual analogy, which happens to pastors all the time, just came in like a flood. And it's like God said to me, hey, as you're pulling him in, I want you to remember, this man, Tony Bennett, has been pulling you in for the last three years. He's been pulling you against the current of the world that's been trying to take you away. And he just keeps pulling you in, keeps pulling you in. And what God meant by that is that Tony had been my accountability partner and every, every week over coffee, he asked me three questions. One, Jeff, what have you looked at this week that you shouldn't have looked at? Two, Jeff, where have your thoughts gone that they should not have gone? And three was the big one. Jeff, what are you thinking about doing that you know you shouldn't do? And every week he asked me those three simple questions and I wanna tell you, I think he saved my life. For the first time in David's life, folks, the reason he falls and mighty is the fall is because for the first time in his life as the anointed king of Israel, he separates himself from everybody else. And now he's all high and mighty and there's nobody around to hold him accountable. And he starts the slippery slope and the seed grows and here's what happens. And you know what? Do you know what the best thing? I gotta tell you what the best thing about accountability partner is. The best thing is that when you do fall, because you will, is that they will look at you and say, Jeff, confess what you did now and minimize the damage. Because if you try to conceal it, some very bad things are gonna happen. Just confess, go through the fire now, minimize the damage, and then go forward. Because when I confess my great sin to my father when I was 16, and I couldn't sleep all that night, and I just did, you know, I had this military dad. I thought he was, I thought if I told my dad what I just did, he's going to take me out in the woodshed and I'm going to live in the woodshed. I'll never get back in the house. And when I told my dad the next morning, because I couldn't, because the thing about is harboring something, it's like a weight of the world on your shoulders. And as we're going to talk about next week, it changes you. You become a different person. The weight of the world's on your shoulders. And I told my dad the next morning, and then I went like this. My dad scooted over next to me and put his arm around me and gave me a glimpse of God. He said, that's all right, son. You did the right thing. You shouldn't have done it. You know, you shouldn't have done it. And I see that you're repentant. You did the right thing in confessing. But I want to tell you, son, there are going to be some ramifications for what you did. And I want you to man up and go through them, admit what you've done. And I'll walk you through it every step of the way. And he did. And within months, it was over and the weight of the world was off my shoulders. You're carrying something. I'm telling you that if you had an accountability partner, he or she would say to you, confess it before God, repent, let the weight of the world go off your shoulders and onto the cross of Jesus Christ, and you will be a new man and a new woman, and there will be joy that comes in the morning. Father, I thank you for the power of your word I thank you for reminding us that we are yours. We belong to you. And I pray in Jesus' name right now for those who are just harboring something, who carry something that's so heavy, that's unimaginable. I pray that during this decision time, that they would be able to confess their sin to you, that joy would come and they would discover what it is, what it is to have their sins forgiven. Thank you, Father, that you love us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. And Pastor Jeff leaves us with a good point about the importance of surrounding ourselves with wise people and heeding their advice. Join me again next time for more in this series and what we can learn from the life and events of
1: King David. David lost so much. But really, at the end of the day, what impacted him more than anything else was he lost his relationship with God. A wedge came in between he and his maker, and he writes, "When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long."
0: Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au